It's great to welcome you. Uh, those of you who are here, we have folks join us online. We're so thankful you're here. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors. And I have two questions uh, for us tonight. I think uh, the Lord has led us to, and they're, they're very simple questions. The first question is this, what now? What now? And the other question is, who else? What now and who else? So one of my heroes uh, this used to be a name you could say, and everybody know, would know who it was. One of my heroes is a guy named Billy Graham. And uh, Billy Graham was this amazing evangelist um, for uh, about 60 years. And he had this passion, this longing to see people know and love Jesus. And so uh, Billy Graham went all over the world and told people a simple message about Jesus and invited them to know Jesus as their Lord and, and Savior. Uh, B- Billy Graham was a spiritual giant in this country. He was the spiritual advisor to every president from Harry Truman to Barack Obama. And so he spanned all this time and was able in the midst of that with all this uh, you know, power and influence to still just have this singular passion to see people say yes to Jesus. And so I sort of uh, studied Billy Graham and followed him and followed his ministry. I, as a young person, began to have a same sort of uh, burning fire in me to see people know and love Jesus. And so I like to see uh, the way that Dr. Graham preached and and taught. And he talked about how early in his ministry, so this is back in the 1950s and 60s, he sensed that there was a question on the hearts of the people of that day in America. And the question he said that people were wondering in the 1950s and 1960s, do any of y'all remember that, Uh, was uh, the question was, what is truth? And so he felt like people were were asking this question, what is truth? And if you think about the people he was talking to uh, then, these were folks, many of them who had lived through the Great Depression, and all of them had lived through, in some semblance, the Second World War. And so they were wondering, what's the truth? What can I hang on to? Uh, when, you, when you go through great uh, sh- trials and tragedy, there, there's a question. It's like, what is it that I can hang on to? What's the truth? What can I give my life to? And so Billy Graham tailored his messages to answer that question, what is truth? But as time went on, he said that the question changed. And so when Billy Graham was in the uh, 1980s, uh, anybody? No, not so much. 1990s, he said that the question changed among the people that he was talking to. He said the question that changed from what's the truth changed to what's the point? And so these folks, uh, baby boomers, had grew up after World War II in the suburbs. They didn't go through the Great Depression or World War II, and they had had a lot of things that that had come to them, you know. Their parents cheered for them when they went down a slide. You know, it it was different things that were celebrated. And they were asking, what's the point of all this? You know, what, what am I supposed to do with my life? What's my purpose? So some of y'all remember in the same time period, Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life, which became one of the best-selling nonfiction books of all time, not just Christian books. And The Purpose Driven Life asked the question, what on earth am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? 
And so that's kind of how I came up as a training in a pa- as a pastor, Pastor Mark, Gary, and I. We were trying to help people understand their purpose in God in the early 2000s. And both of those questions still echo, right? What is truth? And we still wonder, what's, what's the point of all this as we search for meaning? And I am not coming tonight to suppose to know, you know, uh, what those two great men of God did, but I sense the question has changed. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I sense that the question has changed again, just in this last season. As a local pastor in a particular time, in a particular place, I do not hear the search for truth among falsehoods as the main question of the hearts of people, nor do I hear the search for significance as I hear another question. And that question I believe is this, and it's what now? Like, I thought I knew what I was supposed to be doing. (laughs) I thought I knew what my purpose was. I thought I knew where I was headed, but what now? What am I supposed to do now? with all of this, with what I see, with the mess. Like I thought retirement meant this, but what now? I thought after college, I kind of had an idea of what it would look like, but what now? We talked to our students and they're like, I don't even feel like I've even been in middle school the last couple of years. What now? Seniors in high school, like my, my daughter, who feel like they've lost the last couple of years. What, what now? This isn't how I thought this was supposed to, to look. And what now is a question that comes when people are waiting? What now is a question when we're longing for something in which we've been doing a lot of waiting, right? Waiting for the pandemic to be over, waiting for the flattening of a curve, waiting for normal to come back, waiting for division to end, waiting for uh, the reconciliation of races, all these things we're waiting and we're waiting. But I think that we've been waiting for the wrong thing. I think that we've been waiting, like I just woke up to this. Like a few couple months ago, I like literally like woke up again, like from a seizure. And I'm just like, woke up again. And I'm like, I think we're waiting on the wrong thing. I think I've been waiting on the wrong thing. I was waiting for the pandemic to be over or something. I was, I was waiting for everything to get like it was before. I've been waiting for normal to return. I've been waiting for y'all to stop sending me emails. You know, it's just like I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. I think I've been waiting for the wrong thing. And I want to explain that by showing you a scripture where the people of God, Jesus' followers, were waiting. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says, after his suffering, that's Jesus, he presented himself to them, and he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Jesus died, but then was resurrected after only three days. And we always talk about that's a long long three days, but he was with them for 40 days. And 40 days is how long, guys? It's a long time. It feels like a long time that Jesus was with them. And here's what it says Jesus was doing in the time after he was resurrected. He said he was giving them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, I would love to have lived in the time where Jesus was physically in front of me and his main thing is proving to me that he's alive. Like, he's like, I'm eating some fish, you know? He's like, anybody want to touch the old, you know, the old side? Anybody want to arm wrestle? You know, I don't know what Jesus was doing, but it says what he was doing was giving them many, many convincing proofs that he was alive, which people need after they've seen someone die. But it becomes clear to Jesus' early followers that Jesus is not going to hang with them for long. They begin to get the indication that he's going somewhere and they are staying put. And that leads to a question. And that question is, what now? 
And here's what Jesus told them. He said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you're gonna get a baptism with the Holy Spirit. Now we've been talking, those of you who've been with us for John the Baptist over the last few weeks, he was amazing. But remember what John was saying, John's purpose. Do you remember what he was saying? He was saying, I'm not the one. It's not me. What I'm doing is cool. What he's gonna do is better. I know all y'all like me. I can't tie his shoes. He's like, everybody's looking at me. He says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You're asking me for the answers about all the baptism stuff. He's saying, I must become less. He must become greater. And so Jesus hearkens back to that before he goes. And he says, remember, John did some cool stuff, the baptism with water. But he said, what I want you to wait for is the baptism of the spirit. And guys, right now, we are not supposed to be waiting for the flattening of the curve. We're not supposed to be waiting for normal to come back, not even for division to end or waiting for retirement to look like you thought it was gonna look like or for your senior year to look like your mom said her senior year was like. We're supposed to be waiting for the Holy Spirit to come like a baptism. We're supposed to be waiting for the flood to come. We've seen what can happen when we do it. We've seen what can happen in water, but Jesus says, I've got something else coming. We're supposed to be waiting for it. And if you're waiting tonight, if you've been wondering what now with my life, it's time for you to turn your waiting towards a move of God. In this place, in your house, in your family, in our community, in America, what would happen if all our talk was about our expectation that Jesus was going to flood us? <laughs> if, if what we talked about, like what Mark said last week, when people are talking about stuff, she said, I'm sorry. My whole focus is on the Lamb of God. And I'm waiting for him to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. Is anybody else tired of talking about other stuff? What now? What now? Wait for the Holy Spirit to baptize you. And what happened in the early church is the Holy Spirit came. Here's the cool thing, guys. Jesus keeps his promises. He will give us what he says he's going to give us. It's coming. And they waited, and it came. And then what happened is the question changed. I want to read you just one story from Acts. And then we're going to get to uh, seeing what the Spirit is up to tonight. But just a little bit later, we, we look at the life of one guy named Philip, who was one of those early followers of Jesus. And it says this. It's just a random story I'm picking, but I want you to hear it. Acts chapter 8. It says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip was this early follower of Jesus, and God told him to go in the direction of Africa. And then it says, so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. The man had gone to Jerusalem, the, the Ethiopian, uh, to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And so Philip runs up to the chariot and he hears the man reading Isaiah, the prophet, do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. And the guy in the chariot says, how can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And so this is what we hear next. It's the passage of scripture that the Ethiopian is reading in the chariot. I know this is super random, but there's this guy in a chariot going to Africa. Philip is told to go stand next to him and he hears him reading this. It's the book of Isaiah and he's reading, I guess out loud. <laughs> 
He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And so the eunuch, the Ethiopian, asked Philip, tell me, please, who's the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? He's asking, is Isaiah talking about himself or somebody else? And Philip, uh, this is verse 35, it says, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. So Philip does just what John the Baptist says. It's not about Isaiah. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And Philip begins talking about, guys, get this. He begins talking about a lamb. It's like the lamb. Let me tell you about the lamb who was led to slaughter, who was humiliated, whose life was taken, and he tells him about Jesus. Now, there's a lot you can say about Jesus, but Philip told him about Jesus. His belief that the Messiah Isaiah was talking about would come was actually the one that he saw die on the cross, resurrected from the grave, and gave him many convincing proofs of his life. Presumably, right, Philip told the Ethiopian that Jesus had, had changed his life and given him a new identity. And it seems like Philip must have said something about baptism, Because the very next thing that happens is this, verse 36. It says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And some manuscripts include this next verse. I'll read it to you. Verse 37, it says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. This Ethiopian was a powerful man. He gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Here's a picture. This is Rembrandt's depiction of this event. And I just kind of like it. The what now leads to who else? And so the man's life is changed in that moment because he's captivated by Jesus. So what we see that happens in this man's baptism is the same that happens in ours. And the first is this. In baptism, the spirit is active. There is some stuff that is hard to explain. It's like, Philip, why are you going down to Gaza? The only reason he could say is, the spirit told me to. This is not baptism. What we're doing tonight is not just a human act in a human organization. It's a spiritual act in a spiritual community. The spirit is involved, which is another way of saying God is acting. God is the primary actor. The spirit is active. The spirit's doing stuff. And I want to encourage you tonight to just kind of lift your eyes up above all the stuff and begin to look for what the spirit is doing. We also see in the story that the person is seeking, the Ethiopian is seeking, So God's sending Philip. God is the primary actor in our lives, the primary actor in baptism. But that Ethiopian's like reading a scroll, right? What's what's going on in this? What is this lamb? What's going on here? Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching this and you're seeking. Maybe you know God is calling to you, that the spirit is working and you're trying to figure this out. Well, notice this. This is something I like to talk about in baptism. There isn't full understanding. There isn't full understanding. Now we've talked to all these folks in the red shirts. Hey, red shirt guys. Um, we've met with our children, we've met with our students. Uh, they understand that they're confessing their belief in Jesus, but there, is, there isn't full understanding, right? Uh, we step into the mystery as we confess our belief in Jesus. And that's what we, happens next is there's confession of belief. 
Verse 37, which I read to you, is omitted from some Bible translation. Maybe it was added later, but it's good stuff, and that's why it sort of stayed in there. And that says, if you believe with all your heart, you can be baptized. And the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I want you to think about tonight if that's a confession you want to make or have made. I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You don't have to have it all figured out, but you do have to confess your belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And then what we see is someone has to help you to the water. Someone has to help you to the water. I had this crazy moment. We were at the Jordan River in Israel, uh, and there's the baptism, the traditional baptism site of Jesus. And people go down and remember their baptisms. It's a really powerful moment. We got down there. There's people from literally all over the world there. You have to sort of wait your turn. You hear different languages. We were there. You could see on the other side of the Jordan, which is the country of Jordan, there were people over there coming. And we wait our turn. And I was with this wonderful group of people. And we start getting in the water. And I help people kind of remember their baptism. There was a man there who was a guy I've admired my whole life, one of my best friend's dads. It was one of the most humbling moments to see this powerful man say yes again. And we went under the water. My mom was there. We went under the water. It was this crazy thing. You were helping people. And then everybody's sort of scattered and I'm standing in the water by myself. Right. And I'm like in my head thinking, I kind of want to go under the water. (laughs) And, uh, don't do this, but I, I just dunked myself. Right. (laughs) I just, I didn't, I didn't think to ask somebody to come, but I just had that feeling, right. I want to do what Jesus did. I want to be obedient. The Spirit's moving. I'm seeking. I don't fully understand this. You're not supposed to baptize yourself, by the way, okay? That breaks all the rules. But I just was like, I just dunked myself. But really what happens in baptism is that someone helps you to the water. And there are little girls here tonight who are going to be baptized whose mom and daddy helped them get to this place. There are grandparents here. I see you've been praying for them since before they were born. He's helping them get to the water. There are teenagers, there are adults. I know of at least one 85-year-old who's coming up here tonight. And all of us have a story of how somebody helped us get to the water. And that's why this next point makes sense out of the scripture. What happens next is there is rejoicing. It says that they rejoiced. There is rejoicing. Some of, we've kind of, we're not, let me see. Sometimes I still have trouble finding my words. Um, We're not as good at rejoicing as we were a couple of years ago. And we're going to get good at it again. (laughs) Yeah. We're going to, we're going to cut loose and rejoice and high five and cry and cheer When the Ethiopian was baptized, it says that he left rejoicing. That's my prayer for you if you're watching this, if you're in the room, that we will leave here rejoicing. This is not a formula that I'm laying out to you, but I want you to think about these points. You know, if if, if you have sensed the Spirit active in your life, if you're seeking, if you're like, I don't fully understand, but I want to confess Jesus as Lord, if you see somebody helping you to the water, if you were made to be here in this moment, we can, we can say yes to Jesus. And so my last question to you is just this, who else? Who else? Who else needs to say yes? Here's my confession for tonight. This has been the hardest season of my life. I'd never been as low as I was a couple of months ago. I never felt as empty. I'd never had as many things pulled away from me. 
I'd never asked some questions that I, that I asked. And when everything was pulled away in my life, there was Jesus. Amen. When everything else seemed like it was pulled away, there was Jesus. And just a couple of weeks ago, God put this question on my heart just to ask tonight. So I don't, I don't know exactly how to ask it, but I'm just throwing it out there to see if it connects with your heart. If you're here tonight and you're like, I've never been through something like I've been through. I've never been this low. I've never felt this lost. I've never gone that far. Um, I felt like God was supposed to ask me from my confession, like, who else just wants Jesus? Who else wants to, to confess him and say, I'll take I'll take, what, I'll take the salvation that you're offering me, the rescue that you're offering me. And so tonight, for those watching, uh, let us turn our hearts towards Jesus. Amen.